welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend Mike. Hey! So today, we are talking Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 4, which is titled... Daughter of the Night. Daughter of the Night. Talking about Lanfear, that's who Daughter of the Night is referring to. We'll get into that and plenty more, but first... We're going to give out the typical reminders, where if you want to get at us on Instagram, it is Fantasy Rewind Pod. On X, we are at Fantasy Rewind. And then with an email, we are FantasyRewindPod at gmail.com. All right, without any farther delay, Mike, let's dive into this rewind. Fantasy Rewind. All right, season four. Two episode four, Dylan. <laughs> what were your thoughts? Uh, all in all, Good I thoughts. liked it. I thought that there were elements of it that were really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I I especially liked the land fear reveal when that was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they did it, I thought was very interesting, and picked up a couple of details along the way there. But I was really surprised that we abandoned the Rand and the Noble plotline so quickly. I thought there might have been more of that going on, but we got some of the politicking with Moraine and her sister. So not too not too uh, shorthanded on the politics side of things there. But <laughs> all in all, I thought it was good. What about you? So I, I actually liked this episode quite a bit. Um, it pushed the series, this, the series, like the pieces forward, the characters forward, in a lot of different ways. There was some drag like in the middle of this episode, but overall I liked the um, land fear reveal. I liked Moraine with her sister. I thought that was like a fun little dynamic. And like you said, we got some of that politic action. We're not done in Kyrian. Oh no, no, not pretty certain. Not all the way done at least. Because I mean, we still have Loghain who's going to teach rant and we see that was planted in by moraine but yeah where would you where what storylines you want to start with today so today let's just start off with perrin because i feel like his is the most straightforward short yeah and yeah, very short short <laughs> so he basically elias reveals that he was the one that helped him and Egwene escape the white cloaks in the first season and um yeah he talks about him being a Wolf brother and they name drop that actually. They do say wolf yeah. brother, which is good. Yeah, and parent talks to Hopper. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So let's talk about Hopper here really quick because oh, so cute. I thought I was <laughs> as soon as I saw him. the wolf next to parent, I was like, that's Hopper. Of course it's Hopper. But then the sending yeah. and him like just dancing with the the bugs and the other like things. Up, yeah. yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I, I liked it quite a bit, and I, I think just like they've done with other characters, they're going to flesh out Hopper a bit, so into, as much as you can, really, at least make their connection seem a lot more genuine or stronger. One thing that I think was uh, done really well, though, especially well, actually, was when uh, Hopper told Perrin what his name was, you know, through the sending there, and... Perrin says to Elias, oh, his name is Hopper. And Elias is like, close enough. Because it just kind of reinforced the way that, like, wolves send these images 
and it's not a direct translation from Wolf Sending to English. So, like, you have to interpret it, and I thought that was a nice nod to that piece there. Um, one part that I thought was really interesting with the whole Perrin um, and Hopper bit there is just thinking about the future. And I don't think they're going to be having actual talking wolves in this. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, how that bond is conveyed between Perrin and Hopper other than just, like, them hanging out. Well, I think a lot. I, if I had to go off and make a guess here, I would say it's probably going to be Perrin speaking out loud what Hopper was communicating or at least, like, his response to it. Mm. Like, so lots no, of, I don't lots of Hopper staring think we should go down there. at Perrin. And yeah. Then, or, and like, Perrin, looking over at yeah. him, and then, like, they it's pan like, yeah. the camera to Perrin, and he's like, no, I already tied my or i i remember to wear underwear this morning or you know something like that where it's yeah. just like you start getting the dialogue without having to hear from both sides mm. so i'm interested to see that play out in the future um mm-hmm. i do like the throwback as well that elias helped Egwene and perrin with the white cloaks nice way to connect it yeah nice way yeah nice way to kind of tie that part up there um, was there anything else from perrin that really was worth even talking about <laughs> no so now we have, I mean, really only two. Well, I mean, we have the Matt and Min storyline. Let's just do that, that one next. next that's, one. Yeah, really Very short. short and sweet. Mm-hmm. We get them in a bar and <clears throat> they're gambling, which is, you know, Matt's MO. And Min's kind of cleaning him up. So he hasn't gotten his luck yet. No, I think this is a good way uh, to show that and like remind people of that. Yeah, Matt's kind of yeah. unlucky. Mm hmm. And, uh,. Min's ba- t- talks to the innkeeper and is like, I want your attic room. Someone's coming to visit me with instructions. Just send them up. And we find out later when she's sleeping that it was Ishamael in a dream. And so what did you think of this entire like sequence? And what did you think of like basically Min agreeing to be a dark friend, basically? In a way, yes, without actually doing it. I, I don't know if she agreed or not. So that's the interesting thing. Like... She's like, tell me more, but she could be just as much like, I'm going to try to figure out what they want me to do so I can do the opposite. So I kind of interpreted this as, like I just hinted at, as men agreeing to do a Shamael's bidding there and kind of falling victim to the empty promises of the Forsaken and the Dark there. And that did not make me very happy with that. But what I did I'm enjoy... I'm thinking she's stronger than that. I think she should be stronger than that. We'll see if show men is stronger or not. But yeah. one thing I thought that was really interesting was that Shamael came to visit her in the world of dreams and kind of tortured her a little bit by making her see her past, I think, mm-hmm. with her aunts um, who were using her and her visions for like their own like sideshow profit, like circus freak type of fortune teller thing. Yeah, I thought that was really neat, too, and kind of a nice allusion to also how terrifying and how abysmal it must be to live with this gift, or as he calls it, curse. Yeah, it was a good way, I think, to kind of give men a little bit more background without having Mm -hmm. to do a lot of, like, her telling us stuff. It kind of was like a shot mail just showing us what she had to deal with in the past, but... Yeah, I just, I didn't have, I didn't really like, I had a bit of a problem with, uh, <clears throat> with Min's approach to that, if she does, in fact, do Michelle Mayo's bidding. 
So I, I'm just like, I don't think that's going to happen. That's yeah. just my perspective it's on it. so not men. <laughs> it, it, that would be a complete and utter just destruction of her character. I mean, did she ever do... She, she would do things, but she would always do it for Rand. And yeah, not getting into too many spoilers there, but this wouldn't it be her first run-in with a Forsaken with her book counterpart, you know... She uh, she had some some conversations happen there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I thought it was interesting for going to Matt here. Um, how he was just oblivious to everything going on and just was like, oh, you know, I'm here to have a good time and just drink and try to invite men to my bed <laughs> and fail. <laughs> um, Repeatedly. Yes. Uh. So there was that. Um, yeah, that was probably that was my that. least favorite part of this episode, though, was that whole interaction there. Yeah, I'd agree. But it's also really short. It is very so now short, we, yeah. Now we have two, the other two storylines, Rand and Celine. Well, actually, we got three, really. We have we Rand, Celine, Moraine we have and with, uh, Moraine. Yeah. yeah, we'll kind of do those two together, Moraine and Loghain, and then we have... The White Tower, and I think we should probably hit the White Tower and save the juicy bits for last. Sounds good. Oh, and so we could Tower... talk about Lan as well if we really want to. Oh, yeah. I guess my second least favorite part. <laughs> well, he'll be the transition between the sure. two. Sure. Um, but the White Tower, we get Elaine, Egwene, you know, being besties. Nynaeve is back. Egwene and Nynaeve are kind of having... They're having a weird. In, they have weird interaction. I think part of it is Nynaeve realizing that Egwene doesn't need her as much as she says that. Also, too, it's really Nynaeve sitting there with all those memories from her. Right, she's so shell shocked. Yeah, very much shell shocked, and she's she's close to Leandrin actually. Like mm-hmm. Leandrin shows that she's willing to be her BFF and tells Nynaeve about how Falma. Is being invaded and the Amarlin's not doing anything about it. And that they were, the Sean Chan just captured Perrin mm-hmm. and Loyal. And yeah, I thought this was a really nice way, this episode, because there was a scene with Leandrin and uh, the Keeper. And it showed kind of the politicking with Aes Sedai in that sense, too. And I like that she then took it and she used this as a way to get Nynaeve to leave the tower. Mm -hmm. And just like in the books, she brings Egwene and Elaine. Well, Elaine wasn't brought. Elaine was like, you're not leaving me behind. I'm coming with you. (laughs) Try to stop me. And you hear she says, oh, you are a complication. Yes. So just like in the books... Elaine was unplanned for, so... But a gift, in a sense, they thought. Mm. So, for... I mean, at the end of the episode, Nynaeve obviously wants to go and rescue Perrin, and she tells Egwene, and Egwene comes with her. Elaine follows him and is coming with, too. Leandrin apologizes before shoving him against the wall and knocking him unconscious with the power. Right, and I think that this shows right here, you know, that... Leandrin is showing her true colors finally, and that her true colors are just like in the books, black. 
as in mm. Black Aja, Dark Friend, evil character. So I oh, yeah. I think that if this does, in fact, you know, represent a blending of multiple characters for Leandrin, that remains to be seen. Um, but as far sure. as this action here, this is straight out of the books. This is like almost exactly like what happened on there. And I think that people need to remember as well that Elaine isn't just like any other novice coming along. Elaine in, they haven't really hinted at this in the show, but is quite powerful in her own right. But she's also the daughter heir of Andor. So like this princess that could be leveraged to use politically. Yeah. Well, they didn't, I mean, they really haven't mentioned how powerful Egwene is either. Right. They've really just focused on Nynaeve's power, but Egwene wasn't that far behind Nynaeve. And Elaine was right there with him too. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was, you know, that's something to really say because this is the event that leads to future events with the Blue Aja. This really was a catalyst for their downfall. And I think that just the absence of the Omerlin is going to be used as like a, where were you when this happened? Like, why didn't you prevent this from happening? Because I think that the Omerlin is probably off doing something else. When she comes back, she's going to see the storm that she has allowed to happen in her absence. And I mm. hope that we get an answer to to this uh, soon, as far as like where the Amarlin is, I'm wondering if it's going to be Kyrian. Mm. That'll be interesting. That will be interesting. I don't know. Well, that's all I really want to say about the tower scene. Yeah. Did you have anything to add? That's no? it for me there. Let's, uh, okay. <coughs> let's land. move on. Yeah, land. Okay, so we finally get... We, we have Lan kind of doing soul searching with Lana and trying to decide whether to come back to the tower, be with Nynaeve, or go back to Moraine, or just ride off to the Blight and die. <laughs> He's really got a plethora of options. And Alana was just there to make sure he wouldn't kill himself. Because, and I'm glad they brought that up because it was a nice way to say, like, when a born is, or when their uh, bond is ripped, it can lead to. Warder's getting really upset, depressed. And we saw and that in the first season when yeah. the the one warder killed himself in the tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we kind of understand that the bond may have just been masked. Not quite sure exactly. I don't think they really specified that so much. But anyway, he, he's going to go back to Moraine. He's got to. He's got to. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, but the nice thing we did find was that the piece of paper that Maureen had gotten was a prophecy, and it was about Lanfear, which connects to the beginning of the episode, where we see a Shamiel, you know, saying a bunch of stuff in a different language. You get Lanfear in it, but outside of that, nothing. He shoots up, we can say, probably the power that the Dark One provides into... Uh, the seal. And break the seal, and out comes this woman bathed in blood, and people have said that she's like a vampire, <laughs> daughter of the night, vampire, and I think that's a very interesting translation, and even the prophecy was very much sounding like a vampire, 
Yes. I'm going to be interested to see what they say in the next episode about all this. I don't know about vampire. I don't think she's a vampire. I think it's more so a reference to like her mastery over Talion Riyadh and being yeah. like the master of dreams pretty much. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. But I don't know. I I think so many people are focusing on the blood bit of it. Yeah, that was that was a little extra. I thought it was cool, but it was a little extra. And I don't know that she would have been like subservient to a Shamael, like putting her hand out to him, almost like bowing slightly to him. Um, even if honestly, he it almost re- looked like it was her. her giving. To me, it looked like her giving her hand to him for him to kiss. Ah, him, like, okay, kinda. that would make more sense. Yeah, because like Maureen said, she was the strongest of the Forsaken. And in reality, she was She was quite much, strong, but... Yeah, she was like the number two. Two or three. Probably, yeah. Probably three, really. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's accurate. But anyway. But one of the things I want to talk about with this scene, too, though, uh, real quick, is just, again, we're seeing these seals being gigantic. That mm-hmm. there's not going to be any way... For them to carry out the future planning that happens in the books with these seals in the show um, without somebody like stationed at every single one or whatever. But I think it's a a choice and I think it's more so done to to act as like, oh, every seal is going to be holding a Forsaken. So they're going to break open all these seals and release the Forsaken for for the dragon to fight. Yeah, and I, I mean, in a sense, that kind of, I can kind of see why that would be appealing, especially to people, to like the showrunners and everything else. It gives the seals a very specific purpose instead of a very abstract kind of, like, just layers of the Dark One's prison. Right, instead of being like locks on the Dark One's prison, it is instead being used, it seems like, to be the the prisons themselves that hold his lieutenants. Yeah, and they could, I mean, they could kind of do both, though, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, I, I'm fine with it, honestly, whatever, because you don't know if he's cracked open other ones. True, very true. So, anyway, um, let's get into this storyline a little well, bit more. Well, hold on, so, so yeah, oh, yeah, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. I just want to say, so this in this, we have Rand kind of trying to pick up the pieces of the burned in. Oh, well, hold on, talk- hold on, Mike, so we didn't wrap up the whole land piece there where Alana oh. and her warders find the prophecy and they were yeah. kind of like keeping an eye on him and yeah okay maybe you did say that I don't know so Rand is cleaning up the mess he made and Celine's like oh this is adorable I won't own you anymore or something like that or I don't remember her line but anyway basically she gets him to agree to leave the city and come with her out to her family's ancestral cabin in Kinslayer's Dagger. Which, when she's talking about it all, for those in the book, we know what she means. She is referring to the fact that she used to go up there with... With Louis Theron. None other than Louis Theron. Yep. And so we're getting a little bit more of her betrayal and all that. And I love it. I like this, like... They're saying... She's saying all this in... It can mean one thing for people who just watch the show, but for book readers, it can also mean like so many more layers. And I think that's such a cool thing to do. Like that's really fun. Like 
That's the purpose of having dark friends. That's the purpose of having a Forsaken that nobody knows is Forsaken yet. Is that we're able to have these moments where we can sort of be like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a if you know you know situation. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they go up to the mountains and, you know, they're making love, hanging out in the wilderness. They kind of are connecting over their shared love of being away from everything, which kind of connects with Lanfear and some of the choices she was trying to get the dragon to make in the books later on. But I don't know. We're going to see what happens with her a little bit more. But anyway, a Merdral shows up. Rand ends up killing it with the power. She's like, why didn't you tell me you had the power? And he's like, I was afraid of how you view me as a monster. And she's like, I would never view you as a monster. And then, uh, you know, they go back into the house after, I'm assuming, she summoned the Merdral to get him to do it. Oh, of course. Of course she did. Of course she did. Yeah. And she ties him to the bed and, you know, she's riding him and she's like, I want you to know I'm a monster too. I need you to know something about me. And before she can say anything, her throat is slit and she's stabbed through the heart and we're like, oh, shit, she's dead. And Moraine's standing there with a knife. And Rand's about ready to kill Moraine. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, it's Lanfear. She's not dead at all. And as they're running away, uh, Lanfear's eyes do pop open and her wounds are healing. So I thought that was pretty neat. So during that part, so during that part there, uh, Lanfear, I don't think she was actually like, you know, on him yet. I think she was like prepping him up for the big reveal that she is indeed a Forsaken that she is indeed, you know, this powerful woman who is from the Age of Legends, um, and that Moraine was able to get in there and stop her before yeah. she could fully reveal herself. Um, but I think that this is great for a couple different reasons. First of all, it sets up some animosity between Moraine and Landfear for future events that will make it more meaningful um, especially, you know, if, as we suspect, Moraine is able to start channeling again. Um, absolutely, she should be able to. Um, but if she's not, that's a whole other situation. Um, but the other thing I liked about this was after Moraine killed Lanfear. Oh, she will. If you watched her, like, Lanfear's <laughs> face, you kind of saw, like, the saw go across her eyes. And then, like, she kind of respawned. Which, if you read the books and if you don't you know that's just kind of like showing the dark one's touch basically the power from the dark one flowing through her and so like we had mentioned before in the books this doesn't necessarily happen because what'll happen is if you die the dark lord will respawn mm -hmm. you but you might be in a different body you might be in a different gender you might be a different person entirely but the way that they're doing it with this is kind of more of like that straight up reincarnation on the spot. And I think that just kind of mm -hmm. simplifies down a complicated resurrection system already into something that's much more digestible. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm betting that other things can still happen, but just like that instant resurrection is probably just the easiest to understand for the casual fan or the casual Doesn't mean they won't be able to do that. Non-book reader. Later on. I'm betting it will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that seeing how Rand reacts to seeing her again 
after, you know, he just watched her get butchered by Moraine, um, will be very interesting to see if now, instead of her flinching away from him, if he's going to be the one flinching away from her and how that impacts her sanity or her obsession. But, um, so, given that you and I both haven't watched the next episode yet for episode five here, uh, do you have any predictions you want to make for what you think might happen? I do want to get into predictions, but first we should talk about Moraine and her sister mm-hmm. and Loghain. So I really liked Moraine and her sister. One, it was fun to have like her sister be the younger sister and like significantly younger in like the portrait. And then when she goes, like, yeah, I thought that was a nice way to again show the agelessness without doing any kind of special thing. It really reinforced that. Also, it gave us a little bit about the Domadrids and the family that Maureen came from. So that was really cool. I like that. Not right. Like their fall from grace and their attempted uh, resurgence, basically through marrying the queen and how her, you know, the whole like spy system and all that kind of runs in Maureen's blood. And uh, yeah, I I thought it was a really fun sort of system. I did think it was a little out there. To have Moraine's sister usurp her Blue Aja spies. Because I think that would never happen. No one would betray an Aes Sedai for the nobles in the area. Well, because they are rich enough. Well, uh, maybe if they were rich enough. They are Kyrianin after all, so yeah. who knows. Um, but yeah, so that was the one thing I didn't really enjoy that much. But I thought it was a nice like little twist to have her sister kind of reveal that to Moraine that oh you thought you had the power here no it's mine you need to have tea with me if you want this information and that was just pretty funny and also too I like that she was like you're not going to ruin anything that I have here going on so very much Kyrianen and we get in this episode too that Moraine went after Loghain and sent him here to Kyrianen specifically to lead Ran to have a teacher. And I thought that was really fun because that is the Maureen we know. She's playing chess. Always Everyone playing. else is playing yeah. checkers. So I really liked that. I just thought it was a fun kind of connection there. No, it was a good way to explain why Loghain wasn't in the White Tower because Moraine like advocated for him to be sent to Kyrian instead and like got the Amarlin to approve mm-hmm. him being sent to Kyrian. So that's part of why I think that she might be hiding out there somewhere. Mm. It'll be interesting to see. But anyway, prediction time. I'm just going to go off on a little limb here. We're going to have the Amarlin coming back. We're going to have some fallout, especially with Nynaeve, Elaine, and Egwene disappearing with Leandrin. And yeah, don't know. Uh, oh yeah, obviously they're going to end up in the Sean Chan's hands. We know that has to happen because that's we know that's going to happen. That is going to be a strong catalyst for Egwene changing. It's also going to be a strong mm-hmm. catalyst for Nynaeve and Elaine forging a friendship. So it has to happen. Yeah. Yes, that absolutely has to happen. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's mm-hmm. done. And going from there, um, I think that some some predictions is that 
I've kind of hinted at this already, but that the Omelin's going to be in Kyrian and see Rand in Kyrian, like try and have Moraine bring her to him mm-hmm. or bring him to her rather. Um, and I think that the Omelin's reckoning will come later on in this uh, season, mm-hmm. but I think that's definitely coming. Yeah. Um, I do think that we might have some reunification though as well. Like Matt and Min might make their way to Kyrian and get in close contact with the dragon there. And I wonder if we're going to get some of uh, some more scenes with the the nobles of the land and some fireworks I people think we will. Uh, and Tom. coming up here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tom's definitely. I, it, I, it's all going to be interconnecting, and I think they did a really nice yeah. job of making sure to do this in Kyrian. Yeah. Yes, I think that the choice to make Kyrian like where Rand ran off to was done deliberately, mm-hmm. so they could do all of this stuff, like almost like a regathering of a certain part of the group there. And it all leads to Falma. It all leads to Falma, where again the girls will one hundred percent end up in this next episode, and. I, I want to see Egwene kind of go through her Domani training and her reaction to all of yeah. that. Um, so I thought about this as well, and I want to know your thoughts. I'm wondering if part of the reason that they made the Idom a pacifier was so that you wouldn't have the Domani with all like the supplicant, less-than-human language happening that is used in the books with them. How the Domani, like, refer to themselves, oh, Pura is a bad Domani, Pura needs to be punished, you know, yeah. like, all kinds of stuff like that. So that way, if they have their mouth gagged, there's no temptation to have them do that. Yeah, sort of and thing. also, too, because it, it'll, to have, to not be able to even talk, right? To have to hold right. that in your mouth. Less than human. It's doing all that without having to have the language piece to it, Yeah. Because they can't, you know, they can't drop it. Otherwise, they start getting sick, right? So, in a way, it is. If they touch, yes, they it, touch it, yeah, they start getting sick. It's like yeah. it's. It really is almost like a pacifier in that sense. So, mm-hmm. I think you know what I don't love the look of it, but I, the idea of it makes sense. I think the idea is done better than the look. I think that if they went with something more of, I'm not sure if you've seen like Saw. The horror movie where it's like oh, the bear no, trap I'm almost good. on the person's head. If I'm good, yeah. If they did something more along those lines, where it was still like the outer like ring kind of holding their mouth shut. But either way, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> you gonna watch Saw Ten? <laughs> of course, of course. But before I do that, I'm gonna watch season two, episode five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. All right, all right. But I think that's gonna do it for us here. Uh, with our discussion on Season 2, Episode 4. So, let us know, again, what are your thoughts on Season 2 so far? Are you liking it more than Season 1, or is this still just a continued downhill, or are you enjoying some upswing as well? All right, but this is going to be Two Nerds signing off. See ya. See ya.